Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale from 1 million to 1 trillion. We are living very special times, uh, going through a pandemic crisis, and we are bringing you the best tools, best practices, and executives, CEOs, leaders, uh, to help you understand how to leverage this opportunity to scale up or to be prepared to scale up in the post-war uh, time. Today we have a very special guest to help us with this topic. Uh, his name is Philippe uh, Gellis, the CEO uh, of Kentox. Uh, Philippe has been in the show before in a peacetime context and now it's time to get him back in a, in a wartime uh, context. Philippe, welcome again to the show. Hello, my pleasure. So uh, just to give a, a quick intro to the audience, and we definitely invite you to, to look to the previous episode with, with Philip uh, to get to know even more about uh, Kentox and uh, about his career. But just a quick overview so people get the context if they are just listening to this, to this podcast episode. So Kentox um, is a fintech company, um, very much focused on B2B. And what we do in a nutshell, we build software solutions for companies to manage better foreign exchange, and in particular, anything related to uh, foreign exchange risk, uh, market volatility, to make sure they protect their revenue and profit margin against uh, market, let's say, turmoils, which are right now, I would say, at the, at the climax. So right. we started in Barcelona. Uh, in London, we are nine years old as a company, 120 people, uh, more than 10 million in revenue, because I know you are very focused on, on scale up and revenue. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I would say now going through a bit of challenging times, but I would say we are quite a resilient company in that sense. So we are really preparing more for the rebound. That's well, well done. And um, how is this? You were saying that uh, this is a huge opportunity in a certain way because what you do is also to mitigate risk for uh, your clients. Um, how is the pandemic affecting um, your business and, and can talk? So is, is it being an opportunity? Uh, is it being a threat? Or at this stage, uh, it's much more a crisis of confidence and you don't see yet a clear pattern on, on your business? So look, we, we have a business which is... Uh... So as, you, as we said, serving B2B clients, most of our clients are, I would say, of quite a decent size. So our let's right. say, support our companies with revenue uh, in the tens and hundreds of millions. We also have some clients with revenue in the billions. So we are affected, as I would say, most companies, just because we have clients in many different industries, including travel. So as you know, travel is an industry which is more right. or less on hold. I mean, it has almost stopped. So these clients that are now uh, basically stuck, but they don't do much business. If they don't do much business, they don't need a lot of, of, of foreign currencies. So basically we, are, we have less business with them, but we are, I would say, quite balanced in our, in our client portfolio. So we have clients which have definitely much less business than before, but we also have clients in uh, food, logistics, chemicals, or some kind of e-commerce where they have more business than before. So, we are quite a lean company. Uh, our growth is not much driven by, by huge spendings or marketing. And this is definitely a, 
a big asset right now. So what we are doing in this in this week, so in the last two three weeks, and probably in the coming in the coming weeks, is making sure uh, we are going through this. I would say big storm in quite a safe way. So we are we are well funded. So we are quite strong in that sense. But anyway, we have frozen some hirings and some expenses just to make sure we we save some extra cash in the coming weeks. And what we are doing is making sure we are not cutting anything uh, that will generate future growth when the market will rebound. So to make a long story short, we are making sure we are saving some cash as, as most companies, but we're also making sure that we get ready for the rebound. So for some example, we are doubling down on internal trainings to make sure our sales and marketing teams are even better for when really clients will massively come back. So it's really an interesting time for us because risk management is really something which is on top of the list, not only because of what's happening right now in the pandemic, but also because in that kind of context, finance directors and treasurers are mainly sinking risk. NFX is one of that risk. And so we are quite convinced that for us, when, when the market will normalize, risk will be definitely on top of the list. And so it will be quite an interesting opportunity for us. It's really interesting. And um, so typically when we were thinking about what, what are the industries that are doing well or uh, doing badly with, with the crisis, um, we, we think about the companies as being part of that, uh, of that list. For instance, in your case, I would attach your solution to the fintech uh, space. But of course, you serve different verticals, as you were saying, and uh, it depends on your customer base and what are the verticals to what you are providing uh, those, those services. Are you thinking of readjusting a little bit the strategy in terms of your core customers or the verticals that you serve um, in order to, to be stronger after, after the crisis or for the rebound, uh, as, as you were saying? Or would you keep with, with the same uh, core customers uh, during and after the crisis? I would say that one of the things we, we are naturally doing is we are now focusing on, let's say, these industries that are in some way either benefiting or not being too much impact, impacted by right. the pandemic. So naturally, this will create some kind of balance in our portfolio. So for example, Travel, at a large sense, was one of our big industry historically. In the coming months, uh, we know that the new, new clients will come from other industries. And, and it, it, it's interesting because in the last two weeks, we keep on signing new clients. Less than, than two months ago, but we keep on signing new clients. So naturally, what will happen in the coming months, six, 12 months, is that Industries where maybe we were not as strong before will keep on growing. And so when we will look at our portfolio in 12 months, we will be much more balanced than what we were before. And, and, and I think it's, it's quite an important thing and message. I was reading an, an interesting article this week saying that if you think about the tech industry recently and in particular in B2B and, and in software as a service, being super, super specialized in one industry was, let's say, something considered a strength. And now it's definitely considered a weakness. Imagine that you are selling uh, software to, let's say, uh, as a, to restaurants, for example. Now, basically, yeah. you will not sign any client for months. So what before was a strength and, and in some way generated some kind of premium for your company, now will probably imply a discount. 
Absolutely. So be, being really well balanced between many industries, and this is what we have already in Kentox, and I think we will double down on this to be even more balanced in the future, is definitely a strength. Absolutely, that's that's really interesting. And uh, as you know, I'm I'm a strong advocate uh, about radical focus and uh, scaling up, very focused on on a specific vertical, and only later on starting adding uh, new verticals. And uh, I need to recognize, of course, that in this situation, diversity and risk mitigation, as you said, it's it's really uh, important and and a luxury. Uh, to have, uh, unless you decided the vertical that is doing very well with the crisis and you were lucky <laughs> and you could, could be scaling even more. For instance, uh, Zoom and Slack, so that this is their moment uh, and they can be even more uh, focused. Of course, they, they serve different verticals. It's not a, a good example, but the remote um, workplace or uh, e-commerce for groceries and uh, healthcare, pharmacies, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, but for me, it's not only about uh, the vertical in terms of industry. It's mm -hmm. also the profile of the clients. I think that there is right. one specific kind of SaaS companies that will struggle a lot in the coming months. Correct. The ones that have been focusing a lot on selling to startups and relatively young tech companies. Because... In the previous period where it was, let's say, a very nice period in terms of cash availability and, and, and fundraising and things like that, there are many tech companies that have been focused on selling to other tech companies. And a lot of these companies will just struggle, disappear, reduce their spending. So if a big share of your business is selling to other startups, I think you are in a very, very complicated moment because most of your market will vanish very, very soon. So it's not just about industries uh, using the, let's say, the old school definition, which is tourism, food, logistics, but it's also yeah. what kind of companies you are serving. Because Absolutely. I think startups will really go in the, the ice age, you know, in the coming 12 or 24 months. So they will probably spend much less on, on software that are not really core business for them. Absolutely. Yes, it's kind of a matrix, a combination between the, the profile of the company or the, the size, even SME uh, enterprise or startups, of, uh, as you were saying. Yeah. And definitely across our portfolio, I can see a trend. The ones uh, who are serving enterprise customers are relatively more stable unless they are serving uh, enterprise customers in the airline uh, or travel space. But SMEs, and especially uh, with uh, with the cash uh, crisis that we will be facing, everyone is postponing payments and trying to anticipate payments and, and cut costs to extend the runaway. Uh, of course, the SMEs are usually the the weakened the part of, of of the ecosystem, right? And and we might see a domino uh, effect in in the upcoming weeks. Definitely, yeah. There is a study of, I think it's GP Morgan saying that in the US, SMBs are more or less 27 days of, of cash right. and rate. Cash buffer, yeah. I mean, it's a very, very, I would say, high level uh, number because in SMBs and SMBs are many, many different things. But I think it's a reality. There are just many businesses. If cash stops going through, 
they cannot survive very long. Absolutely. And, and especially the ones who are a little bit earlier thinking about scale up, so might be post series A, but still not being able to go upstream and, and serve enterprise customers or are still in that transition unless they start already with uh, enterprise customers. But I would say in, in SaaS, it's, it's the most common way starting with uh, uh, SMBs and then trying to go uh, upstream. This can, be, this can have a huge impact. Uh, not to talk about the, the ones who, who, might, who might be already being preparing or negotiating or almost closing uh, a funding round at, uh, at this stage. So I know, I know that you closed a, a round uh, some weeks ago, so it was a, a perfect timing, correct? It was in December. Yeah, it was December. So the, I mean, we always had this philosophy of always be cash rich. So we prefer always raising a bit more money than eventually what we will need. We prefer diluting a bit more, but being really resilient in terms of cash. So we did it in December, and so the timing was good. But definitely, companies that need to raise money now, now, I mean, in the coming weeks to survive, I think it's almost impossible. So my understanding of the market dynamics now is, you are in big trouble if you are one of these companies which is still not super clear in terms of product market fit or sales engine. If you are very early stage, you are just starting, and really what you need is to raise a bit of family and friends just to, to, to build a team of three or four people and start building something, I would say you are in a good position because there will, be, there will be basically in the coming 18 or 24 months, uh, many, many, many less demand for talent. So you will, you will in a much easier way, find talent. Uh, you will have time to develop something without any kind of pressure, just because the market will cool down a lot. And so when you will start having a, eventually a product, uh, a good market fit, and then you will have to raise your first real round with, with professional investors, maybe in 18 or 24 months, you will be in a good position. And you will also, by nature, start building your company in a very lean way. So I think that someone that want to start a business, a startup right now, or that has just started and can do it in a very lean way, I will, I will not be shy in doing it because I think it's a very good time. And, and these kind of companies will benefit from, 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 again, from being lean and from having a lot of talent available in the future. If you are big enough and you have a very clear product market fit, and you really know how to deploy money and how your sales engine is working, okay, eventually you have to scale down a bit and to be more, 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 more cautious, but I think you're also in a position that's not too bad, except definitely if you were going to raise money now and you are short of cash. So big problem for these companies that, you know, as you say, when you write a Series A, for example, in many cases, you don't have a product market fit. You have an idea of product market fit, you are still exploring, but it, many things are still very unclear. And if, eventually, even in a Series B, when you look at the last two or three years, there were companies doing a seed, and 10 months later, a Series A, and 10 months later, a Series B. Right. And very often, at that time, when you are doing a Series B, you're not already at the time when you understand very well your, your business, your unit economics, and your sales engine. So these are the companies, in my view, that we struggle a lot because Investors will first focus on companies in their portfolio or companies with a very clear product market fit. So 
for the ones that are in the middle, I think it will be very, very challenging. Without saying that the times of companies that were just focused on top line, but with unit economics that eventually will never turn profitable, mobility, delivery, all these things. Wow, I think it will be an extremely challenging time. And, and I think we will see some large ones basically bankrupting and disappearing. When you see what happened, I think with, with Bird or Lime last week, I'm not sure uh, what one it was. I mean, these companies, they, when you need a lot of investment in assets, when your unit economics are very bad, but you are selling a very long-term plan, I mean, this is not a story that will sell anymore in the coming one or two years and eventually ever. I think these times are over and I think it's healthy to be honest. Absolutely. And, and, and it's good to, to have in mind and you are um, a veteran in, in the ecosystem uh, in Europe. That's, I'm not uh, there, but I mean, I have some years of experience in this. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that I'm passionate during these times and the ones who are following me on LinkedIn uh, of the wartime and peacetime uh, leadership style and, and what to do in, in both times. Uh, and that's why the veteran <laughs> was kind of, but, but definitely you have started very early on in, in the ecosystem in, in Barcelona and in, in, in London. And um, it all started in a, in a time that we, we were facing and still recovering from the economic crisis of 2008. That uh, it's uh, Europe and especially Southern Europe, uh, Spain, Italy, Portugal, or even France um, in a big way. And 2011 uh, was even very difficult uh, years. And 2012, 2013, the recovery was not very easy. And I, if I'm not wrong, uh, you, you started up to can talks uh, around those, those years. And we were uh, always saying that this was a, compet a competitive advantage. So finding out a very good job, uh, was not uh, so easy uh, at that time. So talent was much more available. Also, you didn't, you didn't have nothing to lose. If you d didn't have a job, why not try your, your, uh, your dream? Um, so it, definitely in times of crisis, there is uh, a huge uh, opportunity. And I love it what you said about uh, this is the right moment of trying to go from zero to one or, or starting up and, and trying to find a product market fit. Cool. That's, that's a very good and, and inspiring uh, message. So going to our three critical ingredients, we are already discussing this is a, a, a different uh, context, but radical focus, world-class leadership and culture of execution still apply very much in a, in a war, in a war time. So you said that you, in terms of radical focus, the way you were reprioritizing or redefining your priorities in the new context, in the new context, uh, you said that um, you are of course protecting uh, your cash uh, as much as you can and, and cutting costs where, um, where expenses might not be necessary. We not really cut not costs. What we have done, we have, we have said, look, we have a good cash position. Mm -hmm. We have a very good product market fit. We want to be ready for the rebound. So what we will just right. do as, let's say, simple measures is uh, hiring are frozen and expenses yep. are frozen. So basically the cost base is now, is now completely flat because what, what we want to make sure is given our position, which luckily is strong, 
we want to make sure we are ready to react at any time if we see an opportunity. So for me, it's, it's really managing the company and managing, let's say, the, the investment and, and the PNL on a weekly basis. Every week we reassess, we try to understand if the market is normalizing. We want to be able to understand when there is some kind of eventually signs of rebound. And again, because we are in a good position, if you are in a company where you have little cash and you are burning a lot, it's a different game. Eh? Right, but what that you need, you need to understand that it's all about now flexibility. So if you need to make some cuts, you do it. And then it's all about being flexible and adapting constantly. And I love the way because uh, I believe that usually in, on, in these situations, uh, some people panic and it's, it's human. Uh, but this is also a great opportunity to, to prepare the future, to prepare the post-COVID-19 uh, and the post-pandemic uh, crisis to be even stronger. And it's usually also during tough times that we, we build uh, amazing teams or we strengthen the culture uh, that, um, that we have built over, over the years. Uh, how, how are you keeping everyone focused positive and engaged in, in this new uh, situation because everyone in the team uh, faces this kind of situations in a, in a different way. So how, how are you assuring that everyone is, uh, is focused on, on, the, on the future, as you said? So for, first up, some simple things. As you said, what's very important uh, as a company leader is not to panic and to show people in the team that really you are Quiet, you're analyzing, you're not panicking at all. This is very important in terms of name it as you wish, but uh, behavior, right. body language, you know, they have to feel, <laughs> you feel comfortable. This is the first thing. Then, for me, the, then it's important also to show that you are strong and resilient. So, communicating in even a more transparent way to your team about the company cash position and run rate uh, to really show them that they don't have to be worried about the company and their job. We are here for the long run and, and we are ready to go through this crisis, definitely. And then the first thing I have done, and I, and I think it, it, it's probably a very, a very interesting way to, to really try to generate the right dynamic is to identify several things which are important for the long run, but that were not necessarily the focus until recently. So the focus was drive revenue growth and drive the top line. And very often when you do this, you don't focus enough on, on some important, let's say, processes and measures. So some example, we, never, we have never really focused on uh, collection and days of sales outstanding. <laughs> Why? Because in the end, it was never an issue. I mean, days of sale outstanding was never out of control, but we knew for long that we could have improved it a lot, but it was just not a focus. So look, now it's a moment when probably it's time really to focus on this because if we want to grow in the long run and be resilient, this is in some way a very good way to be, in some way to be leaner and not to need so much capital because if clients pay you quicker because you have stronger processes. And that what we have discovered is that with very simple things, which is uh, use, changing a bit the processes and using different kinds of technology, you can improve it a lot. So for example, now we are putting in place uh, direct debit. So instead of asking clients to pay us invoices through wires, we are putting in place direct debit. 
it's simpler for clients, much easier. It creates much less friction and it's very good for our cash position. In terms of sales, what we say before, we, we had clients in some industries that are now struggling. So I really sold it as an opportunity internally. So now it's a very good opportunity to rebalance our portfolio by focusing on other industries that are now not impacted so much or benefiting from the crisis. And, and really sell it as a way to be stronger in 12 months and to have a much, a much more balanced uh, client portfolio. So really identifying two, three, four things that are important for the long run and maybe that were not a top priority until recently. And now you put them really as challenges to your team. And it, it's really a way to create a different and positive dynamic by creating some kind of new common goals and making sure people are focused on these goals. Got it. And I know that in, in terms of future, we discussed it in, in the last uh, episode of, um, of the podcast that you were also planning in, in the long term to expand to, to the US. So these this are also perfect times to prepare this with, with detail, to talk with uh, different people, uh, to understand what, what is the talent needed to, to win there. Uh, is this also uh, part of your thought process nowadays? I would say yes and no, yes and no, in the sense that in the last three or four weeks, we have really been working on how we make sure that we are in a strong position to go through the crisis. Mm -hmm. We readjust the things that are really important. Yeah. Things like the US that were something, I would say more for next year, it's still, uh, it's still something we want to do. But I would say in the last weeks, I have not focused too much time on this because it was not a priority. But you're right, in the end, it will be an interesting time to think about it because again, I was speaking yesterday with my team and I said, look, something which will be very interesting for us is that in the coming three, six, 12 months, competition will decrease. Competition will decrease because even if we don't have companies that are really doing exactly the same and building the same kind of software, conceptually, any bank is a substitute to us. So if you don't want to use a software to manage FX, you use your bank. But what will happen in the coming months is that first, some substitute or competitors will disappear and banks will be much more focused on managing risk and loans and credit and stuff like this, and not at all on building new technology or investing in new technology. So in the end, the competitive landscape in, in one or two years will probably be even much more attractive for us than what it would have been without a pandemic, just because there will be less people focusing on technology in the FX space. But it's, it's, a, it's a very good, uh, good point. And we always can see the same reality as a threat uh, or uh, as an opportunity. And maybe in terms of uh, input, in terms of world-class leadership is really pointing out not, and, and it starts with ourselves, right? So pointing out our mind to where is the opportunity uh, because we can change the reality, but we can think about the reality and we can reframe or redirect uh, our mind and our emotions to where it makes sense. And as a consequence, as an example, it will help your team uh, do the same. So love the exercise of uh, looking for where the opportunity is and reassessing uh, where, where we are. And but something- In some yeah. way, to be honest, I would say in terms of leadership and management, uh, I enjoy personally that crisis, I mean, I'm not speaking about what's happening in terms of, of, right, of course. public health and, and also, you know, we, 
we will, we will have some impact in revenue. So if you think uh, on our year-on-year -year growth as a business, it will definitely be negatively impacted. And this means that in some way, uh, eventually in the future, uh, some kind of delay in our growth story and so valuation. But if you think about leadership and management, uh, I really enjoy it quite a lot because it has completely broken our day-to-day, -day, forced everyone to work from home, created some, some new challenges and opportunities. It has really brought us out of our habits and comfort zone. Uh, it has created this kind of, I would say, positive tension and pressure. So mm -hmm. really in terms of leadership and management, I would say that I have enjoyed quite a lot the last three or four weeks. Uh, it's really an interesting experience. Great, right. it, it shows that uh... You enjoy uh, being a, a wartime leader. Uh, you also did a, have been doing a great job in, in both times because uh, since Cantox exists, uh, you have been leading through peace times and, uh, and, and wartime. Cool. And in terms of, you were, you were talking about our last uh, ingredients, the culture of execution or the rhythms, culture, etc. Um, are you... Are you doing delis or have you been doing delis in the in the first days uh, since the lockdown emerged or uh, all ends every week? Uh, anything changed on your rhythms or uh, did it all stay the same? So I think that if you want to transmit some kind of, of confidence to the team and show that in the end you're not panicking, you should not change everything completely. So what I mean is we have maintained our usual, let's say, management framework, which is our uh, monthly uh, world team uh, presentation and review and the same for management and blah, blah, blah. What I have done is on, in some cases, I have communicated a bit through my, uh, what I name my CEO channel in Slack, which is a channel I use when I want to share some important information in terms of our company resilience and cash position. But I have tried not to fundamentally change uh, the day-to-day -day because I want people to feel that we just keep on going in the same direction. Okay, we are all working from home, so we are not all together anymore. But there is no reason to try to change everything. I mean, we have done some adjustments. We have added some, maybe some new reporting, reporting, task and, and processes, but I try to maintain what we already had because if not, you give the impression that you try to change everything because you are panicking. That's not the case. The, mm -hmm. the main difference for us is really that we are not together. We work from home, which is the case for, for most startups. So you change a bit the channels you use to communicate, but I don't want to change the fundamentalism framework because there is no reason to do so. Got it. Very interesting perspective uh super super interesting because we have we've been also seeing a, a lot of trends and uh, we tried this in the past to um, to encourage people to have dailies and weekly uh, all ends and there was a lot of resistance and now i'm seeing this happening uh, a lot but i i love your perspective about keeping the routine keeping the, the same routine because people will will feel that they are 
in the same context and more confident, more secure about, uh, about the future. Amazing. And we, we come to, to the end of the show. Uh, as, as you all know, we always, uh, our favorite question is, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? I will invite a, a little bit here and without, uh, preparation, uh, because we, we had, we had, we had you Philip, um, in December, January, uh, in the podcast, uh, you, would you like to summarize any advice for uh, any CEO that is nowadays fighting outside to 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 leverage this crisis as as a, as a as a as a CEO and as a company, but at the same time might be suffering because the their business are being very affected by by the crisis. So, do you have any final remark or final advice for for those people who are uh, tuning in? I would say two things, and it's a summary of what we have <clears throat> already said. But first, yeah. if you have a cash issue, make all the cuts needed as soon as possible to make sure that you can stay in business, you can go through this crisis, survive, and then eventually rebound after the crisis. And even if it's tough and challenging, you should do it as soon as possible. And you should really explain to the people that will stay in the company that all these cuts have been really done to protect the company and protect the jobs of the ones that are staying. So again, um, lucky us, it's not our case. And, and, but I know many startups will be in that, uh, in that situation. And I think you should now really manage your cash burn to make sure you have at least 18 months of runway. Less than this, um, I think it's not enough. And then really take a step back to think how you can internally uh, turn this crisis in an opportunity. And again, identify two, three, four things that you consider are big opportunities to improve and to learn from this crisis. In our case, again, it was balancing even more our portfolio and working on, on days of sales outstanding and this kind of thing. So you have to turn challenges in opportunities. So really, identify and each company is different, what you can do to really motivate your team and make sure that for them, this is a crisis yet, but this is also an exciting time to prove themselves and to improve really uh, the company resilience and, and, and long-term opportunity. What an amazing uh, summary. Philip, thank you so much for uh, making the time to share with you how you are living through this pandemic crisis and helping other CEOs uh, be better equipped to, to face it. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Bye-bye. And to our community, thanks for being there. Uh, we keep bringing you the best of the best so you can be in the best shape possible uh, fighting this crisis with your team and with all of us. Uh, Stay healthy and keep scaling.